0: I was specifically told in an interview, all right, which social media platform are we going to do and how are we going to generate revenue from it? So naturally, that was a tough question to answer, but I stuck with my gut and it was LinkedIn.
1: Welcome to the micro influencer podcast. I'm your host, Blake Emmel, And on today's episode, we'll learn from Patrick Ward about getting leads from LinkedIn the proper way. Patrick is a director of marketing who sees great success in social selling and advertising. So stick around until the end to hear his number one piece of advice for you today. Now let's learn with Patrick. Welcome to the podcast today, Patrick Ward, who is the Director of Marketing at Rootstrap. Patrick, how are you doing today?
0: Great. Thanks for having me, Blake.
1: Thank you very much for coming on. Really excited to talk to you about LinkedIn and B2B lead generation and specifically just giving advice to help micro-influencers and entrepreneurs and people that are building something in this particular area. But before we get into that, I do want to get a little bit of context on you just so that we can have a little social proof, if you will, of who you are, where you've been. So first and foremost, what's your professional superpower according to you?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Like, I would say my professional superpower is being able to connect with audiences regardless of industry. And what I mean by that is I've been across, I think, 9 different industries now. And all using the same foundation of marketing, specifically writing. I started as a copywriter in the insurance space, then went through food and beverage, tech, travel, finance, real estate, you name it, I've done it. And what I've been able to do is take those core fundamental skills of writing and then apply them to different industries so that, yes, there's a little bit of a change with language or across those different industries. But at the end of the day, we are still communicating to humans. And if everyone can understand that, then that's really where you can start to see some success. Because one of the things I often notice as I've gone through my career is people try and make it too complicated. They try and think that one area is very unique and another area is is, is also you know exceptional. And really, at the end of the day, who are you selling to? You're selling to people. And people, we have way more similarities than differences. So if you understand that you can be very successful.
1: I'm curious, according to you, what percentage of the industries you've worked in would be considered boring?
0: Oh, easily 80 to 90%. I think I, I did travel <laughs> and food and beverage for a bit. But every single other one, insurance, real estate, finance, even the tech I'm doing, it's not even Ah, uh, quote unquote, sexy tech. It's all B two B app development. It's all talking in terms of how do we scale. It's all very numbers based. It's all quote unquote, as you say, very boring. And the funny thing is, that's what that's where I really shine because I'm able to bring uh, a perspective of, hey, we can bring entertainment, we can bring content, we can bring you know an ex- exciting level of value to the people that we are communicating to because at the end of the day they are still humans. You might say, "Oh, well it's a CEO, they want to be serious." Well, you know, CEOs aren't always serious. They do laugh too. You know, they are still people. <laughs> so, you don't have to communicate in a boring way just because it's, you know, someone who's a C-suite or a decision maker.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's ultimately that's why I was curious because we get in our heads that just because something's boring, you know, that's how it is. But sometimes you just got to disrupt the way that we write and speak and communicate with other people. And I think I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit more tactfully, especially with how we do this for LinkedIn to generate leads for B2B specifically. Um, Before that though, just want to get a quick reference on a snapshot of your career so far, where you started and how you got to where you are now
0: yeah totally. So I started as a copywriter in an ad agency back in my home country of Australia in Sydney, and was there for a while and then, once I finished college, I moved over here to the United States. It was a very bold decision on my part. I literally left that job, even though I still had it. My whole family thought I was crazy for doing that, but i I decided to take the plunge and I moved over here, took a Digital marketing role with a finance company, and then very quickly pivoted into tech. And it, it was fairly easy to do so, mainly predominantly because Silicon Beach here in LA is, uh, you know, it's obviously right there, uh, and there was a lot of opportunity. So I worked for a previous app uh, and web developer. I did a few contract gigs for some ad tech companies, and now where I am at Rootstrap, which is an app and web development agency like my previous experience.
1: Awesome. So let's, let's dive into the B2B lead generation, then now that we have an idea of who you are and that you're not just going to be totally lying to us about everything we're about to talk about. Um, let's, let's just start right in with basically the key question that anybody has when you are a bootstrapper or you're, you're just kind of starting out which is how can I start advertising when I don't have any money?
0: Absolutely. And this is very much the, the classic conundrum that I was facing when, when I first got into this. I was specifically told in an interview, all right, which social media platform are we going to do? And how are we going to generate revenue from it? So naturally, that was a, a tough question to answer, but I stuck with my gut and it was LinkedIn. Now, I chose this for one very specific reason. One, that I knew that B2B generation was likely to be more successful on LinkedIn because that's where the decision makers are. Your average net worth of your LinkedIn user is about three times that of Twitter or Facebook. But then on the other hand, the whole reason for me focusing on just like one platform as opposed to spreading across was this was... a. a, the lesson that i'd learned early in my career in that i used to have to manage you know four or five different platforms and just pumping out content across them all and the one thing that i found no engagement you got like one like two likes and of course that happened because you aren't mastering a platform so if you don't have ad dollars you need to find where your audience is And I don't just mean, oh, my audience is across all platforms. No. Which platform has the majority of your audience? Go to that platform and then master it. So talking in this, how do we master it? So once I started getting on LinkedIn, I'm thinking, okay, well, I can't just talk about tech all the time because it's going to be very painfully obvious that I'm trying to sell. So what I came up with was because I'm a writer, I started doing content around words. And that was something I could come up with fairly easily. This is something I advocate everyone to do. Come up with a content theme that has... Let's just say if I asked you, what could you come up with 10 posts right now? That is your content theme. Because it's something that is so effortless to you that you can keep going and you can keep being consistent with that content and not stop after two weeks or three weeks. So once you got your content theme, then I started putting out this content very much not related to app and web development. But as because it was so natural and easy to me, I start building a community. And then what I'm measuring on is how many people are now going over to my profile. And then from there, they're sending me direct messages saying, really loved your content, really finding it very interesting and insightful. But I noticed you work at an app and web developer. We need to talk because my company needs that. And this is the mistake that so many people make starting out. They think that they have to talk about the business that they're, or the service that they're selling all the time. Well, we're humans, right? When you go onto social media, you don't want to be talking business all the time. If you lead with the humanity aspect first, the areas that you're really excited about, then you can ironically enough, even though it doesn't appear focused on what what you're selling in the end, you'll actually end up generating more interest in your business or service.
1: So ultimately, I mean, to start out with two key principles that I found in there, first and foremost, make it easy for yourself as, as easy as possible to create content, to create ad content, whatever you're doing on social, first and foremost, make sure you can stick to it by making it easy for yourself. And then secondly, actually, you know, mastering it and getting to a, getting to that place where you know where your audience is, and you're actually speaking to them. So I mean, it can be tough, especially when you have no money. It's certainly possible to start spending a little bit here and there when on platforms like Facebook, where you could spend 5 bucks a day and that could suffice for your needs. On LinkedIn, it's a little bit more expensive though. So what type of person should be looking or, or what stage should a person be at to start looking into actually paying for LinkedIn ads?
0: If you're looking to pay for LinkedIn ads, I think you need to have already got a baseline of content. So I would be saying, let's say you've been consistently posting Let about six to nine months, seems golden. And that was, that was what I'd done with my previous app and web development agency. I did it for six to nine months. I'd proven that we were getting leads from it. And then when we started doing ads, it was supplementing. It wasn't. Replacing it was supplementing. So how was it supplementing? Because I'd already generated at that time six hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of business using that model on LinkedIn, which for a, a, an agency of two point two million in revenue, it's it's a sizable bucket of of that revenue. And then when we started to do ads, we used it for different types of content that could not necessarily be put out by someone who's putting out a personal style of post. So these are things like white papers. Uh, these are things like it, you know, presentation templates, decks, those sorts of materials. That is what we tended to keep towards ads. And then for the personal side, that's where we still use this storytelling approach, right? Because what we're trying to do, particularly in B2B uh, lead generation, you're trying to have enough touch points with that prospect so that when you invite them onto a phone call or a video conference, they're not going to say no, right? Because this is where B2B has always been different to B2C. I can sell you, you know, a $10, maybe even a $100 product over a Facebook ad or an Instagram. But I cannot sell you a $100,000 app development over. A simple ad. I need to have a conversation with you. So because that is our measure, that is our North Star of what's going to validate that we are being successful, we're really just trying to use our content to warm a cold prospect. That's the way I conceptualize of it. It's that this person is completely cold. They don't know of us okay now they know of us a little bit and then through enough touch points with our content they will eventually be warm enough that when we say can we hop on the phone they don't say that's not happening because that happens very much in 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 b2b industries it's very common that everyone looks quote unquote very similar and it can be very hard to differentiate so in that environment the traditional tactics of you can't just send a cold email, that doesn't work anymore. You can't even you know, use traditional forms of media, right? You need to use these elements that are very hyper-personalized in order to build multiple one-to-one relationships.
1: I'd, I'd like to take some time to reverse engineer some of your success stories. Because I, I'm sure that you have certain campaigns that stand out on LinkedIn that performed particularly well, or that you're proud of based on their creativity. I'd love to just dive into the elements of maybe one success story, successful campaign that you've run that stands out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the number one campaign that stands out is is easily the one we have we have successfully run with my my boss uh, Ben Lee. So he's very proficient on on the LinkedIn platform and he's generated, at the moment, it was for the last calendar year, $1.5 million worth of business from LinkedIn. And how do we do this? We did this through not even an excessive amount of content. We We only post on his behalf about two to three times a week. But the way that we've done it is we've crafted it based on stories. Now, it all sounds very simple. Everyone tells you, you need to do storytelling. But very specifically of how we focus on storytelling is we focus on being provocative because being provocative and making very bold statements is what gets supported by the algorithm, allows you to get, generate what we have, which has been in the realm of 4 million views a month on his, on his LinkedIn. And then through that, we are measuring through tying it to HubSpot, our CRM, how much revenue is then coming through at the end of the day from someone who a first-touch attribution was LinkedIn. And the reason that we focused on being provocative rather than just simply doing you know, fairly standard stories or even things that are quote-unquote faux-positive is because there's too much of that in LinkedIn and that we needed to, to substantially disrupt. So how do we do this? These are things like we said once that RFPs are bullshit. That is the nature of our industry. There's a lot of people who invest very heavily in doing RFPs, and yet we took a counter approach. Naturally, to say that post itself got a lot of people very irate, very angry. But nevertheless, it still generated a huge amount of engagement. And that's really how you see success on LinkedIn is you have to do what is called patent interrupt. You need to break people from just scrolling through and seeing all the same stuff. And we get into this habit. We look through, oh, more same stuff, more same stuff. You need to break that cycle in order to get them to engage and therefore for your content to go to a point that is so viral. Now, obviously, at that point, that, that provocative point, you're getting them to come over to Ben's profile. Well, what's on Ben's profile? Ben's profile isn't set up to be uh, for a job seeker. It is set up to be a landing page. It is all set up to be very explicit of who we help as a business and therefore why you should work with us. We put a little dabble of social proof in terms of the companies we've worked with, you know, Google, Masterclass, Spotify. But what we're driving towards is creating new sales conversations for Rootstrap as a whole and therefore what we are conceptualizing LinkedIn as it is its own revenue bucket for us. Because when we bring it back to social media, so many people either expect social media to do one of two things. They either expect it to be the solution to all their revenue problems and it will be the entire component, which is foolish, or they think of it in these fluffy metrics of, oh, we're getting our brand out there, we're getting awareness. This doesn't work either. The best way of what we found from this campaign to conceptualize of LinkedIn Is it is a component of our company's revenue? It is not everything, but with the right type of nurture, it can be a very substantial part of our company's revenue.
1: It's very interesting, and I, I could go into a bunch of different branding questions for that, but that's a maybe we'll have to regroup on another time. But I know that you you've talked a little bit in the past about vanity metrics, and I'm just curious. Like most people would think. Likes, comments, things like that. The people, the visible stats to others are important. Some people think that they're absolute garbage and you shouldn't focus on them. I'm curious where you fall on the spectrum of if there's any merit in tracking vanity metrics.
0: Vanity metrics can give you a sense of what content is working and what content is not. So it is somewhat helpful in that respect in terms of testing. You know, you don't want to be just putting out something if it's obviously getting garbage engagement and garbage views because at that point, maybe that's people telling you something. Having said that, the biggest personal deal I ever did from LinkedIn, which was a $140,000 deal, came on a post that had one, I think it was 1,000 views, which was 5 times less Than my average view count and the reason was was this post was very targeted it was why buying an app no why sorry why developing an app is like buying a car so it wasn't very interesting to the wide array of my audience but it was interesting to the right type of my audience and then from that post i got a direct message from someone that person then went through our sales cycle and became the customer. So yes, vanity metrics can be used as a surrogate. But quite honestly, if you can build out your model of revenue attribution, I generally advocate go from a first touch. Use social media as your first touch because that's the point where people previously didn't know about your company and now they do. Right? That's very top of the funnel. And then using the revenue attribution all the way through to the end sale, now you're justifying, oh, okay, this is why we spent this much money on creating content for social media, because it's actually generating a demonstrable return.
1: Before, before we get going here, I, I really appreciate all the tips on, on LinkedIn, specifically in your process I ask this of everybody. I'm really curious what you have to say here because there are so many bootstrappers and micro-influencers and side hustlers that are listening in. I'm curious what so far in your life and in your experience, what what have you been taught that you would offer as advice to them?
0: I think the number one thing that I've been taught, and this is, I, I would say this is a more ethereal mindset value rather than a particular business value. But it's a, this too shall pass. There's an anonymous quote that's, I think, attributed to a couple of thousand years ago. And this is something that I've noticed very distinctly that's given me an advantage opposed to a lot of other Americans that I've encountered. Because a lot of people in the corporate world here in America get very flustered and very anxious about a lot of different elements. Maybe it's a particular deadline. Or maybe it's how their boss is thinking of them. And what they end up doing is they put themselves in positions of weakness when compared to a boss, compared to a client, compared to even just a fellow vendor. Rather, by adopting this attitude of this too shall pass, that means you stay humble in the good times. And you also recognize that even if something is tough, it is not the end of the world. One of my current managers says this very well in the sense of, with respect to software development, we're not curing cancer. And I think that is very important for us all to be very mindful of. It's like, yes, we can take great pride in our work. Yes, we are all trying to build new things, new technologies, new different tools and innovations for other people to make their lives better. But let's not overstate what we're doing. And if you can do that, then you're able to keep yourself fairly level-headed and fairly balanced in your approach. And then suddenly, you don't sweat the small stuff, right? You're able to be more successful because when you get anxious, when you stress, your mind is clouded and you're not going to operate at your best.
1: Fantastic advice. So I really appreciate that. And before we get going here, I do want to give you a chance just to talk about where people can find you online and, you know, where, where the best place is to engage with you.
0: Yep. Two places. So rootstrap.com is our website, rootstra pcom Or you can find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash I-N slash Patrick James Ward.
1: Awesome. I highly recommend following him. Follow Ben Lee as well, who is, is your boss that you mentioned. And check out Rootstrap if you're in need. Really appreciate you coming on, Patrick. And we will have to have you come on another time as well to, to get a little bit deeper on LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening. If you would like my personal growth marketing tips delivered to your inbox Tuesdayly, get it like once every Tuesday. Visit bit.ly, so bit.ly slash microgrowth. Also, DM me anywhere on social. I'm always available. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. So I'd love to help you out. Till next time, influencers. Have a great one.